Jesus said, when you pray, pray then in this way. The Lord's Prayer is the perfect prayer. And as we were reminded last week, uh, there is a balance to it. It, it begins with our concentration on, on the Father in heaven. And it moves to, to our needs um, as they pertain to his glory. And when we arrive here at the, at the fifth petition, our concentration for today, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're hit with the reality that very often our hearts are not aligned with God. That we, that we seek different things from that which we just profess to seek in the opening address, in the first, the second and the third petitions. As we pray this petition, we realise that our, our having been made new is, is reflected only glimpses of this new obedience. But that the vast majority of humanity is still, uh, still wrapped up in sin. And when we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, if we're honest with ourselves, how often are we not in tune with what we actually pray? When we pray for his will above our own, how often do we seek to build our own empire and not see his kingdom echoed in? How often do we, um, in our own words and in our own actions, do exactly the opposite of hallowing his name? See, these transgressions, they're not limited just to the opening addresses and these first three petitions. Because we saw last week how, how in our prayer for daily bread we show our sinful nature. In, in having to come afresh because we lack faith. We lack faith that God will provide our needs. We look to tomorrow and wanting far more before this day is even done. And before we now go really on to dig into to this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, I feel it's important to point out, even though it might be obvious, that, that our prayer for pardon follows our prayer for provision. Now you think about it. This is the desire that we have. This is the way that things work in a natural order because our need for the physical, it shouldn't outweigh our need for the spiritual however it is the first in line at this time as we walk earth here and now as we as we look for our need physically for our bellies to be full because while they are empty we struggle to come to be fully repentant for any sin that we have because our concentration is on our hunger but praise God that this is only the case as we walk now the earth. For while we have a need for bread, we have a need for God's provision. We too have a need for his forgiveness. For when the time comes that we no longer need bread, we're no longer going to need forgiveness either. See, it's worth noting as well that this prayer for pardon, it precedes our prayer for protection. And why is that important to know? Again, without getting ahead of ourselves too much and, 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 and drilling into what is going to come next week, it does highlight 
a very important thing for us that justification has got to come before sanctification to pray for forgiveness of sins is not to pray for atonement or reconciliation with god instead it is based on our faith in the atoning work of christ and his reconciling act on the cross see there there are too many people who profess to follow jesus who claim that there isn't a need for this petition that it's outdated because Jesus has already blotted our sins away. That we can do whatever it is, whatever we're going to do, because it's already been forgiven. So why do we need to pray for forgiveness? And the simple answer is because, just as all of our prayer is, it's an expression of our belief. It's, a, it's an expression of our faith. Remember, one of the ways that I regularly, regularly describe discipleship is that it's a, move, a movement away from unbelief to belief in all areas of our lives. And prayer, prayer expresses this moving. And as we pray for the forgiveness of sins, we're starting that movement. We're stating that, that it can, in fact, be a reality. That through Christ's atoning sacrifice, Forgiveness in the heart of disciples, in, in the heart of those who, who share in the privilege of calling God Father, it is made possible. Now, even though there's begun this, this good work in us, we have this spark of a new, a new obedience that is within us. We continue to walk this earth, turning away, from God, rejecting his commandments, wanting to go our own way. And our need and our desire for God to continue to walk in relationship with us is bound to our willingness to come before him and pray, forgive us our sins. That is what justification by faith is all about. And if we're coming to God to pray for our sins, to be forgiven as we forgive those who sin against us, then what exactly are we praying? In order to answer that question, we need to first look at what is sin so we can understand what we are praying for ourselves. And then we need to ask the question of, is our forgiveness dependent on our willingness to forgive or is our willingness to forgive the effect of God's forgiving us? So let's start with asking that question of, of what are we asking God to forgive? What exactly is sin? And if we turn to scripture, we turn to our, our Bible and we look at the words of the Lord's Prayer, we see in Matthew's version that we ask to be forgiven our debts and in Luke's version that our, our sins be forgiven. In the Lutheran Book of Worship, you'll also see a request in, in, in one version of the Lord's Prayer to forgive us our trespasses. And each of these words, they mean something slightly different. And so which is it? Well, simply, it's all of them in one uh, giant um, coagulation, a giant blob of everything together. And these different words, they help us to understand better what it is to sin. And why we need to ask God's forgiveness when we do. I mean, the main idea of sin throughout the New Testament is, is to miss the mark. 
And if we add to that, that we have a debt, and a debt is something that we owe which we cannot pay, and you add to that trespassing, which is to cross a boundary that we shouldn't have, to go into a place uh, that we don't own, that we have no right to be. See, as disciples of Jesus, as adopted children of God, we owe God everything, do we not? And I would argue that this is what Jesus taught as he walked the earth, that we owe God our loyalty, our totality, our love to him and to each other. And we come again, as we did last week, to the great commandment, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and then to love our neighbours as ourselves. See, when we don't do this, that's our sin. When we don't do these things, we fail to pay that which we owe. And it is for that which we come on our knees to seek God's pardon. And I mentioned before how we, how we don't want to confuse justification and atonement. See, if we believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that is our past, present and future sins, which he did, by the way, and that God justifies those who believe in Jesus saying, I accept you as righteous, again, he does that. And that's a statement which holds eternal validity. Then we're bound to come and seek pardon from our Heavenly Father as his adopted children for our daily failings so that we do not overthrow the justification. Okay, our daily failings, we come and seek pardon so not to have our justification overthrown. We've got to come to God with a repentant heart and ask him to overlook all the ways in which we have let him down. And this needs to be, as the Lord Prayer it suggests, a daily occurrence. We've, we've got to be examiners of our lives and we've also got to allow others to be examiners of us as well. See, I feel personally that one of the areas which we lack in our faith is that which James instructs us to do, confessing our sins to one another. I mean, I wrote on this topic at, at seminary with my, my thesis being titled Personal Confession in Modern, Angelic, uh, Modern Anglican Evangelicalism. And I asked the question of, is it a lost gift or is it an outdated concept? And from my experience of other expressions of faith, uh, since then, I can state confidently that my arriving at the conclusion that personal confession was a lost gift, it carries weight throughout Christ's church. And you return to that question of what is sin, the things that we come to confess. Uh, J.E. Colwell describes sin as a state of our being that separates us from the Holy God. And it used that picture of sin as missing the mark missing that which we aim for, then sin is a failure to stay within the boundary of the target. But more than that, often when we sin, we purposefully miss the target. You see, Scripture, it more than gives us these pictures of what sin is. It goes far beyond that because it provides for us a history of this condition that causes the gulf between God and ourselves. 
And this begins, does it not, in the first few chapters of Genesis, as we read how the first man and woman had been created and given open access to God. Genesis 2, uh, 16 and 17, they tell us that man was free to dwell in the presence of God in that beautiful garden. But under one condition, that he not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know from the beginning of, of Genesis chapter 3 that this condition, it had been conveyed to Eve. But this is also where we see the beginning of sin. The tempter comes and he speaks against God's word. And he convinces Eve that she will not die, but she'll have her eyes opened and that she will be like God. And Adam was with Eve during this temptation. Genesis 3, 6 tells us this. And he too gave into that temptation, tasting the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The choice was made to rebel. And with that, it came the consequence of being expelled from the garden, no longer being able to walk with God, actually being separated from him. See, and we often miss this, God spoke the words to Adam, if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you will die. Being with God is life-giving. Being separated from God is therefore the opposite of that. It is to die. And Paul tells us in Romans 6 verses 23 that the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God in eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the garden... At the moment that the tempter succeeded, Adam and Eve gave in to wanting to elevate themselves above God, or at least put themselves on a level par with God. Sin entered the human nature. See, the problem wasn't the apple in the tree, it was the pear on the ground. And following that, the next generation, we see brother murdering brother, and a few generations beyond that, there's so much corruption in the world. Genesis 6, um, starting at verse 5, tells us that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The rest of the Old Testament recounts it time and time and time again, how the people of Israel rebelled against God, despite him giving rules, commandments, um, the people chose not to follow them. Because this, this condition of sin is deep-rooted in humanity. You look to scripture and we see that there's every kind of sin named in it. Turning through its pages, there's sins which today's people look at and deplore still, such as murder. A simple one. And then there are others which today's culture seems to be maybe less concerned with, such as greed or adultery. See, the Bible doesn't only concentrate on sins that can be seen, though, easily. They also concentrate on those that are maybe a little more subtle or subverted, envy, arrogance, malice, to name just a few. 
And then there are those which society seems to be, and if you pardon the phrase, um, hell-bent on completely ignoring or even trying to be rewriting them, such as the worship of people, possessions, uh, position, or, or even pastimes. The Bible teaches us about sin. It gives us insight to how it entered the world, and it gives us examples of how it is manifested. But there's so much more in the pages of scripture, and we need to read scripture to be able to better understand these things. Because we see time and time again how the love of God draws him to recover a relationship with us despite our efforts to destroy that relationship. Sin really does go and get in the way. It binds, it, re it refuses to release us, but God breaks the chains and he sets us free. Sin pushes us to go off course. Is... It's us missing our aim. And again, like I said, sometimes that's on purpose. But we should still try to aim for that deep relationship with God. And the only answer, the only sure way to do that is to have a deep-rooted relationship to combat the deep-rooted sin that is in our lives. Knowing what sin is should help us to know why we need to come on a daily basis and pray forgive us our sins and there are a lot of people who don't think they need to do this it's considered that the things which the bible state to be sinful nah, they're not too bad there are only minor offenses god can turn a blind eye to them he's not too bothered by them you know why, why should he care how we choose to live our our lives or or the way we want to act you see the thought is that because God is love, his forgiveness is easily obtained. But that goes against what we know to be true of Scripture. Yes, God is love, but God is also judge. We've got to see these two characteristics of God working in conjunction with one another. Because of his love for us, we are justified by faith. That is to have an atoning sacrifice of Christ cover us. The debt is paid for us, and thus we are sanctified, made new, looked upon as sons and daughters of God. Yes, God sent his only son because of his love for the world to die upon the cross. Christ came to die for all, but not all will be saved because of his actions. Why? Because one must be justified by faith in order to receive the blessing of the cross. And we find this best explained not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah in chapter 3 and I don't have time to read the whole thing right now to you all uh, but I strongly encourage you to spend time with it over the next few days but I just want to give you a snapshot of what the prophet says about the suffering servant he says in verse 3 he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem Further on, verses 5 and 6 tell us that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Punishment was brought on him and our wounds were healed. We are like sheep that's gone astray. 
We turned and went our own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of his all. And in the final verse, verse 12, it says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Throughout these 12 verses of Isaiah 53, we read time and time again that the suffering of the servant of the Lord is for others. The sin of the world, not only that which had been to the point of Jesus' incarnation, life and, and death and resurrection, but also all that has happened since and all that will still happen in the future. yet we have a great God, a God who gave his son knowing that that is the only way in which the barrier which we as humans had built could be breached. God loves you that much. He wants to have a restored relationship with you so much that the atoning sacrifice of the suffering servant Jesus Christ was required. Yes, God is love, but God is judge. And we need to see both of those characteristics together. For the wage of sin is that of death. It's to be paid for all. And for it to be paid for all, it took one with no sin to offer himself. C.S. Lewis, he points this out in my mind quite beautifully in his words uh, from the, the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when he's talking um, slightly towards the end of the book. Um, he says this, Though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start walking, working backwards. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 57, well, verses 55, 54, 55 to the 257. Um, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I love that C.S. Lewis says that death itself would start to work backwards. Because if you think about it, for death to work backwards is for life to continue to move forwards. Where, O oh death, is your victory? It's nowhere. That's where. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Well, there isn't one. It's been swallowed up in victory. In the victory of the cross and the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Saviour. And so we pray for forgiveness so that we can live into all that God has for us 
in relationship with him. We ask to be made clean, to be, as I look out the window and I see my fields outside covered in snow, we, get, we pray to be made cleaner, to be whiter than snow. And once we've prayed this in faith from a truly repentant heart, then it's done. It's blotted out. There is no more record of it. See, grace is more than just forgiveness, but it can often take us receiving forgiveness to really appreciate and understand grace. Grace is what God gives us to keep going in life. Grace is God at work in our lives, restoring us to relationship with him and helping us to fight against the evil that is in this world to stand up to the temptations that come and to choose to live a life that is for God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul and with all of our strength and also to be showing that love to our neighbours. We pray, God, we pray forgive us our sins but we also pray as we forgive those who sin against us. And you see that? That's not conditional, as some would suggest. Forgiveness cannot be the clearing of debt, as we've seen today that it, can, that it is, if there's a condition to pay something more. See, God's forgiveness for us isn't the basis, it's, it's not given on the basis that we go and forgive other people. It's like Luther said, if grace depends on our cooperation, then it's no longer grace. But however, if we choose not to forgive others, then have we really understood what forgiveness is? Can we really claim to have received God's forgiveness? And I would have to answer with an emphatic and unequivocal no, if that's the case. See, to receive grace, to experience the beauty of forgiveness in Christ Jesus, is to then share this with other people. A disciple must choose to imitate their master by, by stepping into a life of following Jesus, of calling him Lord and Saviour, and of receiving all of the benefits that come with that. Then we have got to hold on to the hope that God will not hold fault against us. And as we do that, if we choose not to forgive, well, then we forfeit the right to hold on to that. As we hold on to the hope that God will not hold faults against us, we forfeit the right to hold faults against other people. And as I come to close this morning, I want to look at a teaching of, of Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, which is, uh, starts around verse 23, but I want to just go a few verses before that. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 77 times. And therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
And at this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and said he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and he said to him, you wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that was owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. We're not to act like the unmerciful servant, like the wicked servant. We're supposed to act in the complete opposite way. Our debts are forgiven. The record of our wrongs has been wiped clean. And our reaction should be that as we see our brother or our sister in Christ that has sinned against us, we're to offer them the olive branch. I'm not saying it's always easy. I don't know everything that's gone on in your life. I don't know what you might struggle to forgive, but I do know this, that with God, everything is possible. See, forgiveness isn't an emotion. It's an action out of choice. Once you begin to engage in that action, then, then it's true your feelings can change. Your heart can begin to be further softened. And it's not that you're gonna forget. It's not that you won't seek justice in this world where there's justice to be sought. but we are asked to forgive as we're forgiven and to keep forgiving as we continue to receive God's forgiveness. Don't hold a record of wrongs. Don't take forgiveness back because that means that it was never really forgiveness in the first place. Forgiveness, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of faith, of our relationship, of having Christ in our lives. And by granting forgiveness to others, we show the world that Christ abides in us. And that through our faith in the Almighty, we too are forgiven. So what do we seek forgiveness from? We seek forgiveness from all the things that separate us from God, that we ourselves often put in place or that we allow to be there we give into culture over and above his will and his commands and we step onto a false pedestal that says I'm forgiven. I don't need to ask for it. Jesus says in this perfect prayer, in this model to pray, we do. 
we do need to pray for it and we need to pray for the grace to continue to look to others and forgive them as our Father in heaven forgives us. We need him in our lives. Without him, true forgiveness is impossible. His work on the cross leads us to leads us to be able to ask this question. So if you truly know you are forgiven, then share the beauty of that forgiveness with those whom you too are now called to forgive. As we prepare for communion and to receive from God this day in sacrament, I'm just going to play a song, uh, an old hymn, my favourite hymn, Abide With Me. So let's have that play over us. If you want to sing, sing along as we prepare our elements.